Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? What's going on, Ethan? How are you, man? Doing well. We're gearing up for a a little rough stretch here, but I want to get your take on something. We both said that the seat for J.B. Bickerstaff is warm, and I said that this next stretch of games could determine how the Cavs move on this decision. Chris, give the fans your take on this whole situation, and we'll go a little further in-depth as we go along. Ethan, I don't think it's a situation where five games are going to define whether or not the Cavs are going to make a move with JB or not. I just think it's something that they're going to continue to monitor, they're going to continue to evaluate. And if they start to believe that this is a group that continues to underachieve, if they start to believe that this is a group that is tuning out the head coach and they ultimately decide that a new voice is needed for them to reach the potential that a lot of people inside this organization believe that it has, then I could see them considering it. But I think we have to be honest too about JB. And I think The front office is going to be honest about their evaluation of JB too. And it's not just about this year. It's about what happened last year. It's about what happened the year before. He has helped this team get out of the gutter. This team was going nowhere. This team had nothing. They were going to the lottery over and over and over again. They were winning 20 games in a season. And then he took over and he guided them through a very, very difficult point in this franchise's history. And he did something last year, getting them to the playoffs, that no other coach has been able to do in a post-LeBron era. Think about that. He's the only one without LeBron James in the last 20 years to lead this franchise to the playoffs. So he has built up a little bit of equity with this organization. Kobe Altman believes in him. Kobe Altman trusts him. Even after last year, the playoff flameout, Kobe put on record in a conversation with me and any speculation about us making a coaching move this offseason because a lot of people were saying, hey, look, the Cavs just went out in the first round of the playoffs. Could they do better than J.B. Bickerstaff? He got out coached by Tom Thibodeau. Should they think about making a coaching move before it's too late? And all that kind of stuff. And Kobe went on the record publicly and said, end that speculation. So like when it comes to making a coaching change, Ethan, I just don't sense that this organization is going to make an emotional rash one. I think they're going to weigh all of the data that they have. 
I think they're going to weigh everything about him, his resume, his contract situation, where the Cavs are in terms of their development, how they're playing at the time. Like all of that stuff matters when it comes to making these kinds of decisions. And everything that I gathered at the beginning of the year is that the Cavs were committed to JB and they wanted to see how this team progressed, whether this team could take the next step, whether he could learn from his failures and his mistakes in the playoffs, just like the players had to learn from their failures and mistakes in the playoffs. And everything that I gathered is that the Cavs wanted to see whether JB could help this group take the next step, get them to the playoffs again, and beyond the first round. And if not then they were going to reevaluate that situation and maybe make a difficult decision. Now, this conversation has picked up even more this year because the Cavs are sitting in the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference, far below their own expectations, far below their own standards. And when that happens, these kinds of conversations come up. I think it's also been expedited because the Cavs understand that they went and got the people that they need, the players that they needed, to fill the voids that happened against the Knicks in the postseason last year and also with Donovan Mitchell in that situation, not nearing, but it's in the back of their mind. It's something that they have to be wary of, especially with knowing that most teams at this point in their career together, you think you just got the piece that you needed this year in Max Struess and George Niang, and most teams would get one to two year period to kind of figure it out. But because of what happened last year with the Knicks, because of Donovan Mitchell's contract situation, it has been expedited onto a new level because everybody knows that this was supposed to be the season that they take that jump because this is the best team that the Cavs have had from top to bottom since LeBron was here. Different expectations, different pressure. You're right about that. I think the next thing we have to discuss is is how much the Cavs need to do to ensure that Donovan Mitchell is aware of how hard they're working to get to that postseason level, to that postseason caliber team, which I think they still are, but they're just not playing like it. I think they're aware. I mean, they went all in on Donovan. They gave up the assets that they gave up in order to get him. He was very, very excited when he came to Cleveland, being that he was surrounded by the young talent that the Cavs had. This past offseason, he played part in recruiting Max Struess and George Niang. He has a relationship previously with Ty Jerome, so he was part of that as well. He has a pre-existing relationship with Imani Bates, so that played into it as well. I mean, the Cavs have done everything that they can possibly do realistically to appease Donovan Mitchell and put the right pieces around him so that he can be successful and so that this franchise can be successful. And I want to go back to something that you said, because I think it was a really, really good point. Going throughout the course of last season, even as the Cavs were rising up the standings in the Eastern Conference and becoming the four seed and getting home court advantage and winning 51 games. I've said this before on the podcast, Ethan. This is not a dumb front office. They understand strengths and weaknesses of an organization. They understand the roster holes that they had. So even though the Cavs were successful and built the number one defense in the NBA and were second in net rating, there were people inside the front office that were looking at the roster saying, you know what, 
we got some holes. We got some weaknesses. And if we match up with a specific team in the first round of the playoffs that is capable of exposing those, it's going to be problematic for us. I wrote about it last year, Ethan. People inside the organization didn't like it, but I wrote about it. The Cavs wanted nothing to do with the New York Knicks last year in the playoffs because they knew that was a terrible matchup for them because they knew that many of New York's strengths were the Cavs' weaknesses. So internally, the Cavs, they didn't want to admit it, but internally, they were hoping for a first-round playoff matchup against Brooklyn because they felt like they could win that one. And if they were playing against New York, they probably weren't winning that series. So they knew that the roster had some holes, and they knew that in the wrong matchup, it was going to be tough for them to advance past the first round. It's different now, right? When it comes to evaluating this particular team, the front office can look at this situation and say, well, wait a minute, we brought in Max Struess. We brought in George Niang. We added the shooting. We added the spacing. We added diverse pieces on the offensive end of the floor so that we could diversify the offense, so that there could be more movement, so that there could be less reliance on the high pick and roll, the stagnant high pick and roll. And I just think it's a different view that the front office has of the situation and of the roster. Like losing against the Knicks, I think they were able to look at it and say, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah, the season didn't end the way that we wanted it to end, but it was kind of predictable. We kind of knew that we were flawed, even though we won 51 games. And now I think it's just a different viewpoint from the front office. I think they feel like there's enough talent. I think they feel like there's enough depth. I think they feel like there's enough pieces here that JB should be able to figure out a better rotation that JB should be able to maximize this offense and get it to a level where it's more dynamic, where it's more explosive, where it's more consistent on a nightly basis. So I think those two realities are also part of this conversation as well. Because last year with the playoffs, they could look at it and say, okay, JB got out coached by Tom Thibodeau. JB wasn't great in that series when it came to in-game adjustments and roster management and putting his players in the best position to succeed. And some of the X's and O's stuff that he did in that series kind of backfired on him, including blitzing Jalen Brunson the way that they did. But like there was more going on in that series in terms of a talent perspective, in terms of a roster construction perspective, in terms of just like a weakness of a roster that was being exposed. Now I think it's a little bit different. And if it continues to underachieve, it would be harder for the front office to be understanding of that and justify that with something other than, well, JB might not be getting the most out of this group. Right. And Chris, I think the Cavs went and got what they needed to fill those holes. And we've said this a bunch on this podcast already, but I wanted to mention, like, I'm looking at the league and I'm looking at the depth charts of different teams and I'm looking at the starting five rotations. And on paper, I can think of like five to six teams that have what the Cavs do, a true point guard, a true shooter, a bucket getter, and then a big. And in the Cavs case, they have two. The teams that come to mind for me are the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, the Lakers, the Knicks, 
the Bucks. And I said the Pelicans and the Celtics. I didn't have the Bucks because listen, when I look at that Bucks team, Chris Middleton's shot production has gone down with adding Damian Lillard onto that team. But yes, on paper, sure. They have the point guard and Damian Lillard. He's also their bucket getter, ironically enough. And then you have Chris Middleton, who's good in his role. And then you have the big in Giannis Antetokounmpo. So on paper, six, seven teams come to mind with should be matching up with the Cavs. But the Cavs are eighth in the Eastern Conference because they have not had that time to mesh already. And we're saying this when a lot of these teams that we mentioned have also made trades recently and have figured out a way. So I think that's the thing that it comes back to coaching, where it's like, how are the coaches able to put these players together that are new and still have this high level of success Like, you have the star talent. You have the players that you need. You have the people around them. And like we mentioned in the podcast yesterday, the Cavs don't have a whole lot to be going to go get new players. They don't have the draft capital. They don't have those things. Yeah, roster upgrades, right. Yeah, and with Donovan Mitchell getting involved in the community, Donovan Mitchell wanting to be here, it's hard to think that they're just going to go and implode the roster that they created just a year ago, or not even a year ago, this past summer, to try and get back on the right path. But I think there's the other part of this equation, too, is that even the front office is wondering, okay, how does this look like on the court with all these guys together? with a fully healthy roster, with a top eight in the rotation, playing consistently with each other without this in and out stuff. You know what I mean? It's a tough evaluation for anybody, including us that are watching it. But imagine being the front office and it's like you added George Niang, you added Max Struess, you added Ty Jerome, you added these pieces because you thought they were needed and you thought that they were going to help you. Well, you haven't gotten an opportunity to see it all together. And that's the other part of this J.B. Bickerstaff equation. It's like at some point, the front office needs to give this time and needs to give J.B. time with this particular group. Yeah, he won 44 games, made the play-in tournament a couple years ago, 51 games, made the playoffs last year. But this is a different group, right? And he's still trying to figure out the group. And the players are still trying to figure some things out within the group as well. And it's like, that takes longer than 20 games. That takes longer than 25 games. That takes longer than maybe even midway through the season. So if you're the front office, you have to understand that patience is required, number one. And you also have to understand like all of the things that JB has had working against him early on in the season that has played part in the team being 11 and nine. It's not as simple as just saying some coaching blunders when it comes to roster management, in-game rotations, schematic things, X's and O's. Like that's the reason for this slow start to the season, right? It's not as simple as saying, well, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland haven't been consistently great at the level that we expect them to be playing to their standard on a nightly basis. It's not as simple as a bunch of different pressure that is mounting and trying to learn to play as the hunted. It's not as simple as integrating new pieces and a new system and that taking time. It's not as simple as injuries. It's not as simple as some of these players and their development being stalled. It's not as simple as 
a level of inconsistency when it comes to rotations and lineups. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a proverbial magical bullet that points to why the Cavs are 11 and nine and underachieving. And like, if it was an easy answer to that question, then it would be a different conversation. But when you have so many different factors of what it can be, I don't know how this front office could just be like, okay, it's JB and he's got to go. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't mean that he's been great this year at the beginning of the season. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have flaws. But it just means that I get the sense that this front office wants to see what this can actually look like. And can this be the team that they thought they assembled this past offseason? And I don't think anybody has really gotten an opportunity to see that or evaluate that in an honest, fair way at this point, given everything that they've gone through at the beginning of this season. Yeah. And like we said throughout this podcast, most teams that are just starting to get the players that they felt like they needed get at least a year of trial run not just 20 games not just half a season not just a quarter of the season where we're at especially when the team has been dealing with injuries all season and has not had its full roster in zero minutes of the season I mean maybe he's the guy Ethan maybe JB is the guy maybe he's not the guy I just don't know how anybody could answer that definitively one way or the other based on what he's done since becoming Cavs coach, based on what he did last year in the playoffs, and based on what has happened so far this year. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but don't go too far because when we come back, we're going to discuss what the best and worst scenarios for the Cavs could be at the end of this month. Before then, remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext, sign up for a 14-day free trial, or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy. But we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast, and the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. The tough road stretch that the Cavs have coming up is a four-game juggernaut against the Celtics and the Heat, two teams in the Eastern Conference that could pose trouble for the Cavs. Then they have a tough stretch at the end of the month. What is the best and worst scenario for the Cavs heading into the new year, Chris? Well, I think the worst case scenario is that they start spiraling and they continue to tumble down the standings in the Eastern Conference where you start to have legitimate conversations about whether there's enough time for them to get back into the top six in the Eastern Conference, or if they have to try and work their way back to the playoffs through the play-in tournament. I mean, I think that would continue to be worst-case scenario, that they continue to underachieve, that they continue to hover around 500, and they don't have the look whether it's eye test or whether it's deeper metrics of a legitimate contending team in the East, because that's what they thought they were coming into this year. That's what they still believe they are right now. They haven't shown it consistently enough. 
I also think one of the worst case scenarios is that these injuries that have been problematic in the first quarter of this season continue to be a problem for the Cavs. And it makes it hard to get an honest evaluation because guys are missing time because the starting lineup isn't together, because the top eight in the rotation isn't available on a nightly basis. I just think clarity would be important for this organization as the season continues to progress, rather than having a lot of these questions hanging over them and lingering. I think there are two bad case scenarios. The Cavs could ultimately implode on the road against the Heat and Celtics, or they could win those games thinking that they're moving forward and then lay an egg against teams that we consider to be worse than them in teams like the Rockets and the Bulls. In fairness to them, they've only done that once. I honestly think that that would be worse because it would just prove that they again were moving in the right direction and then took steps backwards, which is confusing for a team that is trying to be a playoff contender, but also for a team that has been trying so hard to find a sense of community and a sense of consistency. Like, these guys are trying to gel, mesh, and if they continue to have this one-step-forward, two-step-back mindset, it's going to hurt not only their morale, but also the trust of the team going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that has been something that's been problematic for them in the first stretch of this season, and I think everything points to that right? There's just not the same level of connectivity. There's not the same level of joy. It's so funny, Ethan, because last year, before he got a buyout from the Cavs, Kevin Love, who has been around championship level teams for a big part of the second half of his career, was talking about just the camaraderie, how much fun they were having, the environment being very similar to a college environment where you just want to be around the guys all the time and you're cracking jokes and you're watching movies together and you're hanging out, having dinners on the road and stuff like that. And he just said the atmosphere was so great, so special that he had only seen something like that during his career during the finals run when he was with LeBron, Kyrie, Richard Jefferson, Channing for all of those kinds of guys. And you could feel that. You could feel that when you watch them play. You could feel that just being around the group. And it just doesn't have that same vibe this year. Now, look, there's a lot more pressure on this group. The expectations are higher than they've ever been. And they've been inconsistent. So, you know, oftentimes when you're winning and things are going well, it's a lot easier to have that kind of vibe and feel that kind of way behind the scenes. You know what I mean? So things are a little bit different this year. And I think the Cavs have to get back to that, where it seems like there's this belief, right? Where it seems like there's this buy-in from top to bottom on everything that they're doing. And it's not just saying that we think we can be a playoff team or we think we can be a championship team. It's acting like it. And it's playing like it. And it's having that level of chemistry and camaraderie. It just hasn't been there at the beginning of this season. Yeah, and you think about, I mean, at practice the other day, Isaac Okoro literally crashed Darius Garland's interview because they were just messing around and having fun. Like, the players talk about 
how they have good relationships with one another. You talked about how Donovan Mitchell had good relationships with people before coming here and setting up those people to come to the Cavs with him or negotiating for them to come with him. And it's not like the guys don't like each other. That's not what it is. It's just that they are still gelling as a team on the court. Like, these guys, they work hard. They do everything the right way. It's just about finding what works for them. And you saw it against the Atlanta Hawks. Like, when they went on a stretch, it felt like the ball was going in transition and they were hitting threes and the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse was live and it was electric in the building because It's always easier to have fun when you're winning and when you not have this feeling of something is dragging you down or a weight of pressure is on you because when you're winning and just playing the game, that is what happens. You have fun. And I think that's what Coach J.B. Biggerstaff has been emphasizing and has emphasized all season is getting back to the joy of the game. There's nothing better in the game of basketball than just having fun and enjoying playing with the guys that you're around. That's when the winning begins. So I think even when it's going bad, even when the team isn't playing as well as they want to be, you still have to have that level of joy and camaraderie to play at a high level. Like you see it on their faces. If they're upset, if they're upset with their own play, upset with somebody else's play, They're not going to do their best. So playing with that level of joy on a consistent basis, that's what I like about some of the players that they have now. It's you just play at an even keel, and sometimes you get a little high, but you never get too low. That's exactly right. And I think, honestly, Ethan, that starts with Donovan Mitchell, and it starts with Darius Garland. They need to play to their standards. Darius has talked about taking the next step. Darius has talked about wanting to have his own signature shoe. Darius has talked about learning from the playoff struggles and elevating himself into the conversation as one of the elite point guards in the NBA, going from all-star to superstar. They're eight and one when Darius has a positive plus minus. They're one in five when he's on the wrong side of that. He is a big time barometer for their success. And If he wants to be in those same conversations as some of the best point guards in the NBA, he's got to bring it the same way on a nightly basis. Like his mentality can't change. His approach can't change. His attention to detail can't change. And the same thing when it comes to Donovan Mitchell. How he played against the Detroit Pistons was a big reason why that game was a little bit ugly and why that game was a little bit closer than it needed to be. That wasn't Donovan Mitchell-like. That wasn't a guy who was sixth in the MVP voting last year. That wasn't a guy who was an Eastern Conference All-Star last year. Like, the consistency that Donovan showed last year when the Cavs won 51 games was just to a different level than what we've seen in the first 20 games. And it plays part in the Cavs being 11-9. and If Donovan and Darius are a little bit better together in the first 20 games, they might be like a 14-win team as opposed to an 11-win team. And some of the conversations that we're having about this team aren't the same. It's a different tenor around the team. There's probably a different vibe around the team as well. So to me, it starts with those two guys. They are that important to the Cavs' success, and I think they're that important to the Cavs' style of play and the feeling around the team as well. 
the energy around the team too. Yeah, and I think just them having the opportunity to get in the gym this past week before their road trip and Donovan was coming back from an injury. Now he's had time to rest, lay in his own bed, do all those things. I think that'll also help him. But the one thing that I liked from him before the Pistons game was in the Blazers game when they lost to a team that was not better than them. But in the last couple of minutes, Donovan did not let up. He was active on both sides of the ball, was trying to get the crowd energized, was trying to keep his teammates in it through a team that looked like they had already lost the game with two minutes left and still down five. Like It looked like he was the only player on the team that still believed that they could come back and win the game. And that was something that I needed to see from Donovan, especially on the defensive end, because that is somewhere that we all know he can get better at because we already know he is a premier bucket getter in this league. That's the thing, Ethan. I mean, I, I think the Cavs are too talented and too deep to just continue to hover around 500 and be stuck in that mediocrity of the Eastern Conference. Coming into the season, it was, okay, we know they're good. But how good can they be? If Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia are the top-tier teams of the Eastern Conference, well, the Cavs are on the second tier alongside New York, alongside Miami, alongside Brooklyn. And however you want to rank those teams within that tier is entirely up to you. But the conversation was, can the Cavs take the next step and get into that tier with Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia? And at this point, it's like, forget Boston and Milwaukee right? Like the Cavs are nowhere near that level. They haven't shown anything close to that level in the first 20 games. Can they still? Sure. They can turn around. They can find something. They can go on a little bit of a run. They showed that capability at the beginning of last season. They showed that capability a little bit earlier this month when it seemed like they were starting to click and go the right direction and go on a bit of a roll. And yes, they are seven and three in their last 10. So that is a positive sign. But now it's kind of like, okay, forget Boston, Milwaukee. Can the Cavs just avoid the play-in tournament at this point? Forget Boston, Milwaukee. Like how much better are the Cavs than the Hawks and the Nets and, you know, the second and third tier teams in the Eastern Conference? And it's just, there's too much talent on this roster. There's too much depth on this roster for them to continue down the road of being that kind of team if they can get healthy if they can start figuring it out. Some of the excuses, some of the explanations for their struggles early on will obviously go away. And then it's up to them to see if they can start climbing in the Eastern Conference. But if they're 500 at the end of December, if they're 500 midway through January, if they're 500 around the trade deadline, honest questions need to happen inside the front office about Okay, is it time for a new voice? Is it time for a new direction? Is it time for a new approach? Is it time for a new mentality? All those kinds of things become a little bit more fair game if these kinds of struggles and if this level of inconsistency continues to show despite the offseason talent upgrades. Because Max Struess has been great, right? He's been an ideal fit for what they needed. And yet, this offense is still bottom 10 in the NBA, and yet this team is shooting worse than they did last year. Some of those things are hard to explain. And with that, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself 
by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the cows from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.